ask for help, share your weaknesses. Women have such a history of, of you know, lifting up other women. Um, yes, we are, you know, we are competitive, just like men are competitive, but I think we, we do a really good job of supporting and lifting each other up. And I, I will say, I have failed at not asking for help because I didn't want to show weakness or vulnerability. And the greatest thing that I have done over the last year is said, is taken a really hard look at myself and said, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where do I need help? And I have gone to the women in this group and outside of this group to identify people who are strong in those areas to say, can you help me? John Dutton. I'm very well, thank you. My pleasure to join you. Arman Alawalia. Thank you so much, Eugenie. This is uh, quite an honor. I appreciate you uh, you extending the offer to, to come here and speak today. Pedro diaz Rudal. First of all, thanks for having me and excited you know, to be part of this podcast. Ronan Doniger. Huge. Thank you very much, I suppose, first of all, for having me on your show. Dean Butcher. The key point is ask, 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 and never give up. And welcome to ePROcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of ePROcast. I'm your host, The Big E, and in this episode, I am excited to have this awesome chat and to share this awesome chat that I had with Jen Heinrich, the CEO and co-founder at Girls Rugby. Jen has such an awesome and inspirational story. I'm really grateful to her for accepting the invitation to join the pod and share her story, how she got into the industry, and also share step-by-step all her 18 years of experience in nonprofit world and namely uh, USA Rugby, the project Rugby Oregon, and now uh, her baby project, the Girls Rugby. We talked a lot about the non-for-profit sports, women leadership, women empowerment, and we topped it off with the Hotstone game. Please, if you get value out of it, go and subscribe to not miss any further episodes and also leave a rate and review and let us know who do you want us to get on the pod next. Without further ado, let's dive right into this episode. Enjoy! Guys, welcome to a new episode of ePROcast. Uh, I'm excited. I'm very happy to have alongside me all the way from the US Virgin Islands and originally being from Portland, Oregon, uh, Jen Heinrich, the co-founder and CEO at Girls Rugby. Uh, Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talking with you today. Uh, share with us a little bit how is to be in the middle of uh, winter. Personally, I'm in Moldova right now, uh, <laughs> where is freezing cold in, in degrees, I would say is like zero degrees Celsius. Um, I don't know how much is that in Fahrenheit for our US listeners. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> but share how it is now to be on, on the beach and, uh, you know, enjoying that sunshine. Yeah, I feel I feel a little bit guilty, but I feel really fortunate that I get to um, take advantage of a remote working situation and, and sitting here in St. Thomas. My view uh, from my office is pretty spectacular. There's a, there's a lot of blue waters, there's a lot of boats, there's a lot of beach, there's a lot of sunshine. So we're gonna take full advantage of it for the next couple of weeks and then we'll be back to reality. And I hear it's snowing in Portland, which is, is a rare occurrence, but uh, we'll be heading back and, and ready for the, the Portland weather when we get there, but we're gonna enjoy this while we can. 
Cool. Um, Jen, just for, uh, for, to create a little bit of atmosphere and to get rolling and, uh, and to make that connection with, with the, uh, with the theme of the podcast, uh, can you share a bit of, uh, your background, your story on, you know, in general, how you connected your life with sports, uh, yeah. were you an athlete <laughs> first and foremost? And, um, yeah, what, what do you, to up, up to where, um, uh, and who you are right now, who you are uh, and what you do at the moment? That's great. Um, so I grew up, uh, although I live in Portland, Oregon, which is on the West Coast of the United States, um, I grew up in um, northern New Jersey, which is in the East Coast of the United States in a town called Short Hills um, with my older brother and my parents. Um, I had a very fortunate childhood with parents who were extremely supportive um, and instilled a belief in me from a very young age that I could do anything that I set my mind to. Um, I was a really active and physical kid. Uh, and I definitely gravitated towards running around the neighborhood with my older brother and all the boys and playing all kinds of sports and games and anything that I could get into. So, um, but the first sport that I competed in was swimming. Um, my dad was an avid swimmer. He taught me how to swim uh, at the age of three. And at five, I started competing in the 10 and under competitions and absolutely you know, loved the water and loved to compete. So that was kind of my, my first taste of competition at a young age. Um, but I grew up in an interesting time uh, on the heels of the Title IX movement, which, um, if you're not familiar, that was enacted in uh, 1972 um, and stipulated, you know, schools had to provide fair and equal treatment of the sexes in all areas, and um, that included athletics. So I was pretty lucky that I was oblivious to the fact that sports, sports were not always a viable option for girls. I can't ever remember not playing a sport. I started playing soccer and basketball very early on in elementary school. Um, my dad coached my various teams and uh, I was a very proud daughter. He was a really positive, patient, smart coach and, you know, really instilled in us the importance of hard work and sportsmanship and kind of a lot of the things that I, that I carry through to the programs that we run today. Um, I was a really determined athlete, uh, definitely liked to win. Uh, and I remember early on that my dad, um, appreciated that, but he was also more about the process than he was about the outcome. Right. Uh, and while I happened to have the good fortune to play on a lot of winning teams, the importance of the process was ingrained in me um, from an early age. I was always outside practicing something, dribbling a ball, shooting a hoop, kicking a ball against the wall, making up, you know, all kinds of games. Um, you know, back in the day before we had a lot of the, the media, social media distractions, we were always, you know, running around and active and outside. Um, and then through high school, I played soccer, basketball, and softball, and then I swam competitively in the summers. Um, and then I went on to university. I went to Vanderbilt University, and I played soccer there for my first two years. And then after graduating from college, I you know enjoyed some of the less traditional scholastic sports like mountain biking and skiing. I uh, became an avid tennis player when my kids were very young. Um, and although I've spent the last 18 years in rugby, <laughs> sadly, that was not an option or an opportunity for me to play growing up. Um, so I was introduced to, um, to the sport of rugby through my husband who played at the university of Kentucky and then for a men's club team in Chicago when we lived there and then in Portland, Oregon, where we live now. So, um, so yes, I have always defined myself as an athlete, still a huge part of who I am today. And, and, um, so much of what I learned came from participating in sports. Right. And um, from all the sports that you've ever practiced and played and competed in, what do you think is, well, it's hard to, I believe, to, to choose one which the most you enjoyed, right? It's a really tough one. It's tough to choose one. Um, 
Boy, yeah, it's tough to choose one. I think, um, you know, my daughter was a big soccer player and I got to coach her at a young age. So I enjoyed that aspect of it. My son, I coached his basketball team at a young age. Um, I still love to be in the water. I love that. I don't know. That's a tough one. They're all so different, <laughs> right? Um, yep. I don't know if I can pick one. Okay. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> give you a pass. I'll give you a pass on that. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. So, um, you mentioned the process, uh, over the outcome, which I, I love how you said that. And unfortunately not a lot of people are talking about it and they see, uh, you know, only, oh, I'll, I'll hide, uh, everything I do. And I'll tell you only if I hit that success, uh, and not a lot of people are sharing their journey, their process and how, how they do it. I would say the here in, um, in these parts, the, this, this kind of the same mentality, um, mm -hmm. Even though I'm, I agree that you have to share the process and how you get there. And, you know, it's like basically would, the, the, the main, well, if we compare the, the main thing is like, you know, you would, you would play the entire season very well. You'd be, for example, in NFL, you get to the super, to almost Super Bowl, well, Super Bowl, and you lose in the final and nobody remembers the, the finalists. And that, that, that finalist could be, I don't know, what's 18 and zero and they lose in the, in the Super Bowl. And right. the other team might be, I don't know, like, uh, what, 12 and seven or whatever and winning the Super right. Bowl. <laughs> right. Like, like, like the Bucks. <laughs> right. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, Chiefs fans. <laughs> I do <Yeah>. apologize. <laughs> um, yeah. But I agree, uh, completely agree that um, you got to share the pro share the progress, how you get there. Um, yes. and And the outcome, you know, if, if it's positive, great. It's a nice reward. If not, then right. you just learn and move on. Right. Um, Jen, now getting a little bit on more professional side, you've been a lot, I did a little bit of research on LinkedIn and, and other sort of resources. And uh, you've been a lot of, you spend a lot of your time in nonprofit world, nonprofit sports world. And if you can share more, what you've, um, I noticed you've been uh, with USA Rugby and then, um, being the head of Rugby Oregon. Can you share more about the journey in these two uh, organizations? And uh, if you can share a bit more what you've achieved and what been the main challenges during your times there? Yeah, um, so I, yeah, I spent the last 18 years uh, in the nonprofit sector. Um, the, I didn't start off in nonprofit and it's actually a space that I didn't ever picture myself landing. Um, the job prior to my foray into the nonprofit world was in advertising for five years where I worked primarily on um, the Nike account on the agency side of the business. Um, but then when my daughter was a year old, I decided I didn't want to miss any more of her firsts. Um, and so I was fortunate to be able to, you know, make a decision to be at home with her. And then about a year later, my son came along. And shortly after that, I decided that um, I wanted to have some work that would allow me to use the other side of my brain. Um, I love being with my kids, but I also really needed to feed kind of that other side that was not being fed quite as much. So I expressed this to my husband and he had just happened to receive an email that day that uh, Oregon Youth Rugby, which is now Rugby Oregon, was looking to uh, formalize the organization. So they had about 50 kids participating at that time. Um, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know rugby other than my experience with my husband, but I knew sports. I was really passionate about how sports could transform lives. And I had some decent, you know, business experience by that time. So I met with their board. 
um, which included the founder of Rugby Oregon, um, who's a Kiwi by the name of Jeff Arker. And he had started Rugby Oregon so that his kids would have a place to play, you know, when they grew up. He grew up playing in, in um, New Zealand. And I recall that Jeff and I, you know, we sparked some really great conversations and um, I got really interested in the opportunity to help build the organization. But even then, I didn't really see it as a long-term opportunity. I remember telling Jeff when they offered me the position that I'd only likely do this job for a year or so before going back to corporate America. Um, <laughs> and then here I am 18 years later, completely in love with rugby, completely in love with the community, and really completely in love with the opportunity to build something that can make a, life, a difference in the life of somebody else, right? How often do you have that opportunity where you get to do something that could potentially change somebody's life or impact them positively? And and um, you know the feedback that I've received over the years and, and what we've been able to accomplish is just, I just feel really blessed and really fortunate to kind of have fallen into it uh, in the way that I did. Um, so Rugby Oregon uh, was the first USA Rugby state rugby organization in the country. So the state rugby organizations in the United States govern um, each of the states. And um, there was a lot of rugby being played. Oregon was not the first place to play rugby. There was a lot of rugby being played, but there was not a formalized administrative structure. Right. So we became the first, there were three of us in that first year. And then Rugby Oregon kind of became the foundational model that USA Rugby used to roll out the additional, I think there's 45 or 46 state rugby organizations in the country now. Um, and then during my time with Rugby Oregon, I was elected to the USA Rugby Youth and High School Committee and USA Rugby's Congress representing youth in high school. Um, and so that's kind of was my experience there. But um, Rugby Oregon was amazing. Um, we grew from 50 players that traditionally just played a spring season to um, offering programming year round. So we had sevens and 15s, boys, girls. Uh, we were focused primarily on high school at the time, but then we backed up to our younger age groups and built the base, which if we could have done it differently, I would have built the base first and then right. fed into the high school program. We did it a little bit backwards, but, um, and we offered high performance programming and summer camps and kind of all of that good stuff and have thousands and thousands of kids that have now come through our program. So um, it's been, you know, tremendously rewarding, um, but but a challenge as well. We we were a um, we are they are I'm no longer there, but uh, a wholly centralized administrative model. So we did everything from soup to nuts, as they say. So from the start of the registration process to customer service, answering questions, social media and marketing, we actually managed all the funds for all the teams to so provide an accounting function for everybody. Um, we had centralized purchasing. So imagine 80 some odd teams, thousands of kids, and you're providing that service for all of them. So um, scaling that, um, there were some intrinsic challenges to that and you know, a tremendous amount of work. Um, but I think it's a structure that has also enabled our coaches to take some things off their plate and focus yeah. on what they do best, which is coaching. Coaching. Um, and right. And so as much as they're still doing a lot of work, don't get me wrong. There's a tremendous amount of work that goes into coaching any kind of a program, but trying to eliminate some of those barriers for our coaches so that they can focus on the things that they do best, which is recruit and retain kids. Right. And uh, during your time at uh, Rugby Oregon, what do you think, and this is first thing that comes to, you know, to the top of your head, um, any projects or any ideas that unfortunately were not, did, didn't come to life, uh, if you will, do you have, do you remember any of these projects that you might have passed on that potentially could have been, uh, could have grown into something big now? It's a really good question. 
I really can't think of anything that we ever passed on. I'm definitely one of those people that sees a challenge as an opportunity um, and really, you know, wanted to go for it. I think, I guess, I guess what I would say is we did have a couple of stutter steps trying to get our middle school girls program off the ground and creating kind of a viable opportunity for that age group. It's a tricky age group. So you've got kids that are playing non-contact version of the game and then moving into the contact version of the game at Rugby Oregon. And that was a challenging, it's an interesting time for girls to begin with in that seventh and eighth grade kind of ages. Um, and that has, that was probably one of the biggest challenges. That division still exists, it's still happening, um, but it's probably one of those areas where it needs constant love and attention and support um, in order to make it continue to grow. It's not quite self-sustaining. And I don't know if that's just because it's a, um, you know, it's such a foreign concept in our country. Um, so high school rugby is for girls has become a lot more uh, commonplace, yeah. but still in those younger ages, that is not the norm and it's not the commonplace. And I I, I think that's an area where where I've struggled to get those programs really running in the way that I would want them to run. Do you have um, over there, because I'm trying also to educate myself and the, the audience, here in Europe, for example, we have, I believe until uh, kids are getting to like 14 or so, uh, they're playing together with boys. Uh, do, you, mm. do you have this kind of uh, thing in, in over there or... Yeah. So uh, at the age of 12, I believe it's um, 12 and under can mm -hmm. can participate together. But then okay. once you hit so maybe it's under 12 and then once you hit 12 and over, then they um, separate boys and girls uh, right. at the full contact level. I mean, obviously, if they're playing flag or touch, yeah. it's still co-ed. But, uh, but yeah, I think 12 is the magic number in the United States. Yeah, fair enough. And Jenny, you're not the actually for, for the record, you're not the first person who uh, told me and parent who um, reminds who you know who brings this up that they started a uh, a project a club or a, an organization because their kids didn't have where to play practice a certain sport so right. you know, um, I've met, I've I've heard that from friends in rugby league in you know in rugby in soccer right. and soccer is more common because there's everywhere. Yes. but not this kind of you know other sports that than like rugby and uh, you know a bit smaller sports, if you, if you will. Right. Um, let's, um, and I'm really excited to get now into this theme of, uh, of your project currently that, yes. you, that you, you know, it's your baby. Yeah. <laughs> the, the girls rugby project. Can you share more about the mission and the vision of, of the organization? Yeah. So Sorry. do you want me to give you a little bit of a background too on it? Absolutely. And how it okay. came to, how it came to your mind. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. So it's a relatively young uh, organization. Um, it came about, the idea for Girls Rugby came about at the end of 2017 when I got a call from one of my co-founders, Erin Kennedy. Um, so Erin and I had worked together during her tenure at um, USA Rugby in the youth and high school department. Um, and specifically, I worked with her on an initiative that she created called Try On Rugby that was designed to get more girls and women involved in rugby as players and as coaches, referees, and administrators. Um, and then our third co-founder, there's three of us, uh, Hannah Harper, who actually came through Rugby Oregon as a high school athlete, um, where she, you know, she was super talented athlete. She'd grown up a soccer player. I think she also played volleyball, maybe a little bit of basketball, but found um, rugby in high school. And then she went on to play rugby at Oregon State University, where she was a collegiate All-American. 
Um, and at that time, she also did some work for me um, for Rugby Oregon, running some different things. So we got to kind of work together a little bit and just so impressed by by her, her talent, her intellect, her creativity. She's just phenomenal. Um, and then ultimately she went down to San Diego where she got some exposure to the USA national team training and playing at um, the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. And that's where she earned her first international USA Rugby Sevens cap. So um, <laughs> over the years, the three of us tended to gravitate together at various rugby events. So if you attend rugby events, you know, there's always those people you're excited to see. Yep. Um, and we really bonded over kind of this shared passion of how sports can be used to transform um, lives for the better and, and really how we needed to create more opportunities and greater accessibility for girls to play rugby. Um, you know, we know that girls who participate in sports have higher levels of confidence and self-esteem. They have lower levels of depression. They have better academic outcomes. Um, we also know that sport teaches us important life skills. So teamwork, how to work well with others, goal setting, um, communication skills, and, you know, other achievement oriented behaviors that are really successful to success as a young person, but also, you know, that, that goes right into the boardroom, right? So those are, those, those are um, characteristics that are really essential to success. But we also knew that there were estimated to be 4 million less opportunities for girls to participate in sports as compared to boys in the United States. And we said, okay, we need to do something. And, and at that time, there were also only 1,050 girls in the entire United States playing in that entry level, um, you know, non-contact introduction to the game. And we think, okay, in a country of 320 some odd million people, we've got a thousand girls participating, we can do better. So we had a couple of phone calls and decided that we should get together for a weekend and talk through ideas. Um, Of course, we picked sunny San Diego to have that conversation. We flew down there. um, (laughs) And that was really where Girls Rugby was born. We kind of locked ourselves in a room for a couple of days and whiteboarded out uh, you know, 12, 15 hour days, whatever it was, just to kind of get the concept and really think through everything and talk about what it was that we wanted to accomplish. And and also, how does that fit in with what's already happening in the United States, right? So that we can work together and not, you know, not, we wanted to, we wanted to be a part of the, part of the solution, part of the process. So, um, but our mission as an organization is to empower young girls to reach their potential through sport. And we do this by combining uh, flag rugby with our unique curriculum that we actually built ourselves. And it's a curriculum of um, weekly values and leadership-based lessons. So each week the girls in our programs learn and hone their rugby skills and put those skills into practice on game days. But at the same time, they're participating in experiential learning opportunities where they explore lessons in leadership and positive core values and kind of go through a a variety of different um, question and answer and activities and kind of all of that good stuff. So they have a chance to to practice those skills as well. Um, And we rolled out our first pilot programs in the fall of 2018. And that was in Portland, Oregon, Denver, Colorado, San Diego, California. And then we expanded our programming in 2019 into new markets. And we actually doubled the number of girls participating in 2019. And then we were all set for continued expansion in 2020 when obviously COVID hit and we had to hibernate all of our programming. But we did offer an online virtual, um, called it Virtual Leaders Program and modeled it after our core values. So we had seven weeks of of kind of leadership training, but it included fun rugby skills videos and we had exercise videos and we had all kinds of activities, but based around our seven core values, so leadership, empowerment, achievement, development, et cetera. So um, we thought, well, we'll offer this. It'll, you know, maybe we'll have a couple hundred girls in the United States who are participating. 
Um, and then unbeknownst to us, it got picked up by World Rugby and uh, wound up getting picked up in 30 countries. And we were busy translating into other languages and all that good stuff. But it was uh, certainly challenging, but also a really rewarding experience. But 2020 has has yeah. definitely thrown us some curveballs. So we're ready for 2021. Who is, do you have a specific target? Um, you know, there, is there an age targeting or, or uh, are you going to specific locations? Uh, especially let's, let's talk, you know, COVID aside, not when, it, not virtual events and so, but when you do f- physical events, like are you targeting specific age group? Yeah. So our age group is specifically girls in grades two through eight, which translates to girls that are roughly seven to 14. It is all flag rugby. So it's a non-contact version of the game. Um, and the markets that we're in, quite honestly, uh, were the areas where the three founders were living at the time, but also happened to be areas where we would be able to funnel girls into existing programs in those state rugby organizations. So they didn't necessarily have a large base of girls that were participating. So it's kind of a win-win in that, in like I can speak to Oregon since I was wearing both hats, is we actually doubled the numbers of girls that were participating at that age group for Rugby Oregon, and then we tripled them in 2019. So, you know, we're we're funneling these girls into these programs, and quite honestly, if they want to get into contact at a younger age, they have an opportunity to do that as well in the state rugby organizations. So we've been really conscious about that. It was the reason why we moved into Ohio after that, because they've got a great, uh, you know, robust um, state rugby organization that's really well organized and well run. Rugby Pennsylvania, same thing. Um, we're getting ready to move into there this spring. We were supposed to do in 2020, uh, but tremendous support from their state rugby organization and from the people in that community. So it's kind of going after those areas where we're not creating something in a bubble where there isn't opportunity for, for the girls to continue to progress beyond our program. We want to make sure that we're, we're working with organizations where they're going to have an opportunity to, to continue their journey inside that rugby world. Um, and that's kind of been guiding some of the decisions that we've made about our, our growth and development. Right. Are you are you planning to take? Uh, do you have in your near future the plan to take it overseas, um, other continents, countries, etc.? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that we are open to and considering. Uh, we were actually slated to cross the border into Canada, into Manitoba in 2020. Um, things are pretty shut down in that area right now. Um, so our spring, pro- our hope for spring programming is pushed to fall. So we'll start with going over the border, not leaving the continent yet, uh, and then kind of see where that goes. But the reality is, is that, you know, um, we are currently volunteering our time to run this organization. So we've got to build capacity. And I think we need, we have a lot of capacity building to do here locally before we can then take this and replicate it in other places um, in the way that we want to. Maintaining the integrity of the programming and how it's delivered, how it's rolled out is vitally important to us, which is why we've been so intentional about having this curriculum, this seven-week curriculum that is rolled out. We, we, we want to make sure that the experience that every girl has is a positive experience and really reflects what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And I think we, we, I think when you, sometimes you rush too quickly, the, the goal is to get everywhere fast, but then I think you also run the risk of diluting the product and we don't want to do that. So those are some things that we're having to weigh and temper. Right. And it sounds, it sounds like for the girls, this is a great opportunity and a great pathway um, what in what do you think is from your perspective the best case scenario the, the best scenario pathway for for a seven year old uh, girl 
getting into this program? How do you see her, um, this program helping her getting from 70 years old to whenever she grows to uh, 30, 40 years old, where she can, yeah. can get to. And I, yeah. And I think, you know, it, on the rugby front, um, you know, look, we know that kids are dropping out of sports at alarming rates when they hit that middle school age. So for us, creating an environment that is first and foremost fun, right? That's so mm -hmm. important. Creating a place of community and positivity, helping them to fall in love with the game, but falling in love with the, the, the world around them, right? The community around them. Um, and, and creating some of those relationships and understanding what it means to be a part of a community. So that's a big part of what we're doing. Um, it's not just you show up, you play, you go home, right? So it's, it's, it's a bit more than that. And I think that also helps set them up for success. So in terms of the rugby pathway, again, you know, creating programming for our girls to participate in areas where they can continue their rugby pathway should they desire. Um, and, you know, great things are happening at, at, at least in the United States, great things are happening at the collegiate level with the NCAA emerging initiative. And we're starting to see more and more programs and more and more opportunities that are emerging. So we're kind of really focused on our space and holding up and supporting kind of the next space, which is the state rugby organization high school programs. And then those collegiate programs, we all have to work together and lift each other up and celebrate each other's successes and continue to tell those stories so that we can continue to have those opportunities. So I think that's part of the rugby pathway. And obviously the cream will rise to the top and those outstanding players who have aspirations, you know, to play at the highest level um, will have the opportunity to do that. But that's not really our focus. Our focus is really let them have fun, let them learn the basic skills, let them enjoy themselves, get build their confidence, build their self-esteem, have successes, right? Um, ensure that, you know, that they understand what it means to score a try, right? Like every girl should know what that feels like. Yep. Um, and so that's really our focus. But I think the, to your point, the, the, the curriculum that we're teaching, the values and leadership-based curriculum that we're teaching, that's, that's also part of the pathway. It's not the rugby pathway necessarily. It's part of the rugby pathway, but that's that pathway of building that confidence, building that safe esteem, building self-esteem, creating leadership skills, um, developing other skills, having an opportunity to practice those as a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grader, having an opportunity to, 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 you know, feel what that feels like to try it on, to see what works, to see what doesn't work, even though they don't know that's exactly what they're doing. But those are the skills that are going to help support them, on and beyond the rugby pitch, right? And when they, you know, whether or not they have a job or work in the community or whatever it is that they do, those are skills that are gonna support them. If they never play sports again, those are skills that are gonna support them beyond the rugby pitch. And that's also vitally important to who we are and what we do. Absolutely. And every step for, for uh, girls at that age is a small win. And, right. you know, small win, small win. And everyone loves winning. <laughs> the, uh, well, I I hear a lot uh, fall in love with losing, and this is what personally I'm trying to uh, to 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 not you know I I lose I I learn I move forward, but winning of right. course that's that's rewarding. Um, and at that age is definitely very important that the the, the kids are getting are winning winning winning, and and uh, all the small wins are kind of plussing up and and yep. and getting to a big result so that's that's huge at that age i agree Absolutely. going going a little bit globally yeah and taking the current situation you know 2021 mm -hmm. um where do you think and how far we are from an equal world in in sports when it comes you know to equality and diversity it's a loaded question <laughs> <laughs> um so you know 
outside of sports um, and just kind of thinking about it from, you know, equality and, and women in power, because I think sports, I think it's, it's sports is included in this. Yeah. I think that answer would vary considerably depending on where you are in the world. I mean, there are certainly places where women don't have basic human rights that, you know, they're not afforded to them and they face some pretty horrific atrocities. They don't have opportunities to do the things that we are talking about. Yeah. But but really, aside from these kind of conflict countries, um, I think we have made progress. Um, I think that we're living in a better time than, you know, when our mothers were you know, living in with regard to girls and women's empowerment, but I think there's still a really long way to go. Um, I was thinking, um, I was listening to a podcast a month or so ago and they were talking about this topic and, and they said, if you ask people in the United States, how far away you think we are from equality, they typically guess 50 to 60 years. And they're shocked to hear that the world economic forum metrics, which looks at this topic for all countries globally, puts the U S 208 years away from equality if we don't do something to accelerate the progress, right? So like my daughter, her kid, like we're so far away if we don't do something to continue to accelerate the progress. And the other statistic that I thought was really interesting was that while we're seeing progress in the United States in the House of Representatives and the Senate, and of course, obviously with our new vice president, um, it's estimated that we're still 60 years away from seeing equity there. And this is really key because we know we need a seat at the table. We need greater diversity at all tables, but particularly at tables where policy is made, where you know we know that we have better outcomes when there's diversity of thought. And whether that's women or people of color or whatever it is, we have to bring those, we have to have those seats at the table, but really, really critical is having a seat at the table where decisions are made, right? So that's, what are the opportunities that we're gonna support? Where does the funding go? All of those things, if they're always made by the same group of people and given to people who look like them, um, you know, that continues to perpetuate kind of where we're at. And and I won't get into kind of like, you know, the whole political side of it, because I think that's a minefield. But I do think that we've we've in some ways taken some steps backwards um, is just in terms of kind of common human decency and how we treat each other. Uh, in the United States. And I think we have a lot of work to do and I think we have a lot of recovery to do. So accelerating this progress is gonna be um, even more important and continuing to have these conversations like we're having today about the importance of of having a seat at the table and why it matters um, and why girls in grade, in you know, second grade should be in programs where they're learning these skills and why, how resiliency is gonna be so critical and so important for them, right? All of those things become become more and more important. And really it's kind of shown a light on that of, of where we are and how far we have yet to come. Um, but yeah, so we've got a long way to go, but I'm excited that there has been progress for sure. Right, and how about, um, it might help as well, um, yeah. from um, uh, what what are the countries that you think are leading the way when it comes to, to, to diversity and you know um, equality? <laughs> I think, you know, I think the Scandinavian countries are really known for being more open-minded and progressive um, and have made, you know, strong inroads when it comes to equality. But I think you see that a lot, particularly in the public sector, but I think there's still quite a dis- you know, bit of disparity in the top leadership positions in those countries in the private sector. So well, I think there's been a, a lot of progress. And I think, you know, uh, if you look at uh, happiness quotients and, and studies that are done there, those are pretty happy places and, and women feel pretty fairly treated, but, but again, there's still, you know, room for growth. Um, I also think of, um, you know, New Zealand, obviously who has, um, 
you know, we've got a prime minister in Jacinda Ardern, right, who has shattered all kinds of proverbial glass ceilings as a female prime minister. Um, she's been outstanding with the COVID crisis, obviously handling the, the massacre in Christchurch. And, um, you know, and on top of that, um, right, like normalizing giving birth while she's the prime minister and her partner becoming a, a stay-at-home dad and, you know, fighting for paternal rights and, you know, all of these amazing things that have happened, Um so I think she has set a, a tremendous example. Um, and then I, you know, I mentioned it before, obviously in the United States, we just, uh, after two centuries of, we just elected the first, you know, female vice president of the United States, who's also the first black American, the first, you know, person of um, South Asian descent. So these women are really, you know, setting the stage for future generations. They're opening doors for more girls and women to ascend to the highest ranks. There's nobody that says you can't get there because we've already been there. Um, and there's a lot of truths to the saying, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. So I think there's definitely some pretty visible examples, um, that, you know, that we can, that we can, that they were, they're leading and we can follow. Right. Right. And, um, actually you mentioned, well, apologies for our listeners who thought this is not going to be a little bit political, but we're getting a little bit into <laughs> politics, <Uh-oh. laughs> but yeah, uh, well, our, our, newest president uh it's uh, the first you know uh is the first woman president after oh uh, i think she's like the 10th uh you know before that it was all nine men uh and now right. it's, she's the first woman president and i see how things are changing in our country you know mm. people being more open and then so i think this is definitely something new and uh, uh yeah. i think it's it's more positive it's a lot a lot positives to um out of it uh but um Jen, I also uh, have been noticing a lot because you know this podcast, of course, is helping out um, uh, young guys and gals to who want to work in sports, you know, getting to be get involved in in sports projects and and whatnot. Uh, I've 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 been following bigger organizations, of course, because they're very active on social media um, and and so on, and you know we see a lot of big or sports organizations. I'm going to, we're going to touch base now our core uh, thing here, yeah. sports um, that, you know, like FIFA, UEFA, well, drug beat, et cetera, pushing towards, um, um, you know, diversity, uh, getting a lot of, uh, getting more and more uh, women into um, leadership roles and yeah. you know, executive roles. What do you think, but I haven't seen this trend going and this thing happening in the small to me, medium to small or small to medium organiza- sports organizations. What do you think would be at least a first or first and first or second step they can do in order to get to, to think about it? Because when we're talking about big organizations, they're thinking about this. They have people who can think about it. But when it comes to small organizations, medium organizations, they're thinking about, uh, especially during COVID, about surviving and you know business. Yeah. Uh, so they're not having to fire people or furlough and etc. Um, what do you think would be the first step? You know, I I would agree with you. I think there are greater resources um, in some of the larger organizations. Obviously, they may have better funding, more opportunity to have resources for training and education programs, and to to put more thought into kind of diversity and inclusion. But I would say for those small and medium organizations, if they are not thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, they are missing the boat. Um, And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, the foundation that the company is built on. So the policies that they have in place and the culture that exists. So 
you know, if your company is built, whether you're small, medium, or large, if your company is built on policies that support diversity and inclusion, um, have mentorship programs and clear pathways, then I think, you know, you'll find that women will be able to ascend to leadership roles along with men. So I think that there's, there can be equal opportunity, but I think it comes down to the fundamental kind of foundation of the organizations. And I do think small to medium organizations, I mean, certainly it's something, I mean, we are a small organization, right? And it's something that we have been talking about nonstop over the last year of, are we doing a good enough job? Yes, we are focused on um, filling a niche for girls who are underserved, but what about our girls that are under in, in underserved communities where sport isn't accessible? How are we removing barriers to entry to sport for those girls? So, so while I hear you on those larger organizations, um, I do think that it's paramount that small and medium organizations are also having those same conversations and are looking at their policies because they are going to be the dinosaur in the room if they are not. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's going to be really important. And I think, you know, this may be controversial, but I think that the there's still quite a lot of harassment that exists in the workplace and a lot of accountability in that area in the workplace, which forces women to move around and leave jobs at higher rates than men. And I think that's a bigger hurdle than the size of the organization is how do we create a safe space for all people? And how do we hold people accountable for their actions, whether you're in a small, medium or large organization? Um, you know, so it always goes back to those policies. What are the policies? What do you stand for? What's your culture? What's your foundation? Do you support inclusion? But really holding people accountable, I think in any size organization will help to remove some of those barriers um, into leadership roles. So I know that, I don't know that I totally answered your question, but that's kind of my no, thought yeah, on it. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Absolutely okay. did. And uh, Great. I, I think personally that um, the, including this uh, when it comes to you know small and medium organizations um including diversity as one of their core things to to think about and on their on their plan could help them being higher up in ranking when it comes to to community like let's say uh you are in a medium uh city or town um if you're not going to include this point you know you won't think about it you'll be just a random sports organization and how, and now we're talking when it comes to sports as more and more organizations are out there and, you know, there are a lot of to cheer for. Um, this kind of things are what, how you'll stand out in, in front of the, uh, of the other organizations. So I completely agree here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about, because um, this podcast is also a, an opportunity creator when trying to 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 get uh, inspirational uh, people uh, and guests out of here, uh, you know, insp inspirational guests on on the pod, um, and you being one of them. I just wanted to to, uh, to to ask how ladies can maximize opportunities in sport. We have seen a lot of organizations when they post jobs on on the internet uh, being we're an equal opportunity uh, company, but in in general lines, it's just a statement that they have to put, I believe, just because of the sake of doing it. But how do you think women uh, can, can um, what, what can they do in order to increase their, op their chances to, to, to get hired and stand out? Oh, um, you know, I think, I, think, I think it's bigger than just how do I increase my chances, right? I think 
I think for years, decades, uh, centuries, maybe, you know, we have been told this story that women are meant for certain roles, certain jobs, certain responsibilities. I mean, heck, our, you know, fairy tales told us to wait for Prince Charming to come along and save us, right? So, <laughs> so I think what I would say to girls and women is not to wait um, and to learn. This doesn't necessarily help them with this specific question, but learn to lead from wherever you are. Right. So if you're an entry level position, if you're at a junior level position, if you're in a management position, if you're in a senior role, if you're running a company, um, obviously, hopefully if you're running a company, you've already learned to lead. But you can be a leader from wherever you are in that organization. You can be a great teammate. I mean, again, it goes back to, you know, what's what are the critical skills for leading and being able to lead a team is is, is critical for success. Right. So learning to lift those up around you and having the confidence in um, helping others to succeed and understanding that being a part of a team where there is success, if someone else has success, that that's your success, being confident in yourself and your abilities to understand that. Um, but I think practicing those skills from wherever you're at helps to demonstrate your abilities and to give you greater exposure <clears throat> for whatever that next step is. So if, I am, if I'm at that front desk position and I'm answering phones or whatever it is that I might be doing, doing that to the best way that I could possibly do that and thinking, what's the next step? How do I make somebody else's job easier? How do I help them and support them to be more successful? And not worrying about your ego in those moments, but practicing those skills for the sake of practicing those skills, because those are the skills that you're going to need to develop as you continue through your career and as you, as you, you know, as you progress. So I think, you know, that would be a bit of advice. Um, and I would say never stop trying, right? Continue to apply for those jobs. Don't, you know, there's a, there's statistics that talk about how men apply for jobs when they have, I don't remember what this number was, but like when they meet 60% of the qualifications and women want to meet hundred percent of the qualifications, <laughs> right? Again, it goes back to the story. It's the tape that we've been told our whole lives that in order to do this, you need to be proficient in all of these areas. Whereas I think a lot of men say, oh, I, I know it well enough. I'll figure it out. Right. Well, well, sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to put our hat in the ring and we have to figure it out and we have to do the hard yards behind the scenes. I mean, with rugby Oregon, I, in the beginning was working 60 hour, 80 hour weeks because the job needed to get done. And I needed to make sure that it was done well and that, it, you know, everybody had a great experience and you take care of everybody around you. And so I think, so I think that's one piece of it. And then I would also say, you know, uh, you know, when you keep trying, you might fail. Yeah. But don't be afraid of failure, right? So failure means you're putting it all out there and you're going for it. And I think failure is this, this double-edged sword that people are so afraid of it and they don't want to be seen as uh, incapable. But it's just, you know, the best lessons you can learn come from failure, right? So failure highlights the areas where you need to improve. So not just focusing on the things you're good at, but fighting through the things that challenge you so that you can build new skills and flex different, you know, emotional and mental muscles. So, um, you know, yeah, let, let's uh, and I'll reverse engineer a little bit. And uh, we we were talking about the girls who want, you know uh, women who want to get in, in to work mostly in, in entry level and 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 uh, you know junior positions. But let's reverse it and talk about you know already established uh, women le leaders um, who are like in your position a, a CEO, a manager, a C level um, professional. Uh, yeah, what what should they do in this, in this role? You know, the last year has opened my eyes to some things. So I'm part of this. Uh, I was really fortunate to be awarded the scholarship from the world, uh, the world rugby executive leadership scholarship for yep. women. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And, but, 
but not only was that great because it allowed me to pursue some endeavors to, you know, hone some of my skills that I wanted to hone, but it opened up this network of women um, that are really connected to one another and supportive of one another. And, and one of the things that I learned was ask for help, share your weaknesses, um, talk to other people. Like women have such a history of, of, you know, lifting up other women. Um, yes, we are, you know, we are competitive just like men are competitive, but I think we, we do a really good job of supporting and lifting each other up. And I, I will say I have failed at not asking for help because I didn't want to show weakness or vulnerability. And the greatest thing that I have done over the last year is said, is taken a really hard look at myself and said, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where do I need help? And I have gone to the women in this group and outside of this group to identify people who are strong in those areas to say, can you help me? Right. And I think, um, making some of those connections inside of your company, creating those people who are going to champion you along the pathway and not just fighting in your own bubble and, and hoping that it's going to happen because you're good enough or somebody sees that talent, but really using all of the resources that are available to you. You don't know what you don't know, and you'll be surprised when you ask how much you can learn. Um, and that's been really rewarding for me in terms of my journey and kind of my growth and development this year. And I think that's applicable to any organizational setting is find the people inside your company, outside your company that are going to help you and give you the resources that you need to continue on that pathway to find success. And if you don't ask, you never know. Yep. That, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> can be, can be more real than that. Yeah. Um, and um, now, you know, um, we have to, to touch a little bit the current situation, COVID. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think it's a trending uh, topic. I think if you I go know, on uh, right? Google Analytics thing, uh, it will show you that is the most trendy thing in the world. True. Um, from from your personal uh, from your personal side, what uh, you know skills or things uh, have you done or acquired during this one year almost of, of uncertainty yeah. and and and, <laughs> and crisis. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's been such a hard, I mean, it's been such a hard year for so many people on so many levels. I mean, it's just been devastating. But um, I will say, you know, going back to this World Rugby Executive Scholarship, the timing being awarded this at the end of 2019, the timing could not have been better for me in terms of things slowing down for girls rugby, having to hibernate our in-person programming gave me the time to pursue some academic interests that I had been thinking about, but hadn't had the time to pursue um, so I completed the executive leadership uh, course through Cornell University, and I'm actually getting ready to begin another financial success for nonprofit executives course also through Cornell. So um, that has really helped me kind of fill in some gaps in areas where I felt like I really needed some, um, you know, improvement. And so for me, that's that's been amazing. And then really just having connections to the to the women in that group um, and spending more time kind of fostering some of those relationships has been really important for me as well. Right. And um, we're, we're talking a lot about diversity um, and, you know, women's empowerment. Uh, what would be your top um, podcasts or books that would you that you'd recommend um, on these topics? Uh, gosh. So I tend to jump around a lot when it comes to podcasts. I actually like to listen to things that are um, kind of counterintuitive to my way of thinking to kind of test myself and to think about think about the ways that I think about things. But okay. um but lately, in terms of this topic, I've been listening to a lot of episodes um, in the Dare to Lead podcast. 
mm-hmm. and Unlocking Us. And both of them are hosted by Brene Brown. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but she's had some really interesting guests. Um, and then I've also enjoyed uh, the Game Changers podcast, which I found because Katie Sadler, who is the head of women's rugby for World Rugby, was on an episode. Um, and that's hosted by you know the very accomplished Sue Anstis. Um, but it really highlights stories of some amazing trailblazing women in sports. Um, and then I would say the other one for me is just kind of always perusing through the Harvard Business Review. It has some really interesting topics and some interesting speakers. And um, so those are those are that's kind of been my recent go-tos on right. that front. And and uh, for the audience, uh, K- Katie Sadler also was in, uh, on uh, uh, this podcast as well. And uh, she was the last guest we um, we talked about uh, diversity. So mm. it's uh, it's funny that we're uh, we're uh, getting back to to to. She's Katie, pretty so. incredible. She's one smart lady. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jen, I will I will invite you to play with me the hot stone. So it's quick questions, quick hitters, just to get the you know the the audience to to get to know you more. Um, okay. And I think it's going to be fun. Okay. So, um, Jen, who's your favorite uh, female athlete of all time? Uh, one, um, I would say maybe Abby Wambach or, um, uh, Mia Hamm maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably both, both of those women. Sorry. I didn't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is your favorite place in this world? So my favorite place in this world is when I'm with my family, wherever I okay. am. <laughs> um, but I would say, uh, my favorite place that I've ever visited was probably Florence in Italy. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite event of all time? It doesn't have to be, um, well, it has to be sports, <laughs> but yep. not, not specifically rugby. Um, my favorite sporting event of all time. Oh my gosh. There's so many, um, pick any of the, pick any of the tennis opens, us open, Australian <laughs> open, uh, Australian opens happening now. So I'm going to go with Australian open. Okay, sweet. Um, and actually, uh, tennis um, and the Grand Slams being one, talking about diversity, um, I applaud what they've been doing. Um, they're the, the Grand Slams are one of the only um, competition that you know uh, rewards with the same prize money. Yeah, equal yeah, pay, uh, the men and women. So, um, And thank Billie Jean King for starting. I guess she could be my one of my favorite athletes too, right? Thank you to Billie Jean King for everything that she's done for, for women in sports. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. What would be a piece of advice you would give to 20-year-old you? To a 20-year-old me, um, I wish that somebody had told me earlier to ask for help. I have always been... Yeah, I would say ask for help. I've always been a little bit too guarded and and didn't want to, you know, show there's any chinks in the armor. So ask for help. And the previous question is kind of might get might have a little bit of influence on the next one. But uh, who is the one person in this world that inspires you? Oh, the one person in this world that inspires me. Oh, there's so many people that inspire me. Um, I would say I'm not going to pick one because they'll be really upset if I do. But I would say my parents have always inspired me. Um, they have been my guiding, my guiding light and my constant support and uh, I've always felt so loved and understood by them. So um, yeah, and they've set great examples for, for us to li- live by. Jen, and the last question, um, what is your why? And uh, why, why do you do what you do? 
I am so, my why is so clear for me. I am so grateful. I've said it before. I said it earlier. I'm so grateful to be able to work in an organization where we get to make a difference. And my whole life growing up, I thought I would be very driven to make money, to do all of these things, um, the kind of more corporate side of, of the business. And I just feel really fortunate that I have this opportunity and I feel fortunate that I kind of fell into it backwards um, and that we get to build something that makes a difference in somebody else's life. It's super rewarding. That's awesome. Jen, thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking uh, the time to uh, join me from the beautiful uh, US Virgin Islands. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope you enjoy your time there. And um, um, just if someone wants to connect with you, uh, if you can share your, uh, your social media and of course, uh, the, uh, the, your project social media, please feel free. Yeah. I mean, anybody who wants to get in touch, I'm easy to find. So Jen at girlsrugbyinc.com. You can also check out the work that we're doing uh, at girlsrugbyinc.com. So. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Jen, thanks. Th thanks a lot uh, for your time and uh, uh, wish you all the very best and staying safe. Thank you. This was so fun. I really appreciate you having me on here. That's it. Episode's over. Now go leave a rate and review and let us know in the comments who do you want us to get on the podcast next and share their awesome story. Also, feel free to connect with us on our social media. All of them will be down in the episode notes. And subscribe to the pod on the platform you're listening to to not miss any further episodes. Until the next one, peace out.